You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. So today we are going to get uh, into God's Word. I've got quite a few different directions. It's all going to tie into the same same purpose and same plan, which is God's purpose and plan um, today. But uh, we're going to talk about being purged, which is forgiven, how God has repurposed our lives, and how He has promised us um, many, many things. His Word is just full of many promises. Um, so being purged is just being, like I said, is being forgiven of all the sins, past, present, and future. Every, everything that we had done that, that we're in the middle of doing or that we may end up doing in the future, God knows um, that we are just a weak man. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to have issues that we have to go through. But God's promises are for us to be able to overcome those things and work into a different direction and a different purpose and calling to serve and expand His kingdom. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is where we're actually going to focus our main key scripture for the day. And that is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It should be a scripture that pretty much all of us are very accustomed to. It uh, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Um, it, we're a new creation. Pretty straightforward and simple right there. New creation. It means that no matter what you was, what you are, you become a complete new creation in Christ to, to be able to serve Him, to seek after Him, and have all the power and the authority to do anything that uh, He has put on your heart's desire to be able to do. He has taken that old thing that you was and became it into a new thing. Um, here we saw how... Uh, he had purged us in, uh, in that verse. It says that you are to be forgiven. Being that new, the old things have been passed away. It's completely an undeserved love that God has for us. It's, it's almost un, unimaginable. When I was growing up, I didn't believe in God. I completely believed contrary to God in, in every way that I could think. It was, God wasn't even an idea in my mind. I thought God was a joke, and it was, it was just a little fairy tale, no different than Peter Pan and the, you know, Captain Hook. It was just as much to me of a fairy tale of that was. It had no meaning. So I just thought that, uh, you know, God was just, just of the same sense. But God says that, uh, that He takes us and He gives us that new meaning. He, he isn't something that is unattainable. His love and His mercy and His forgiveness, here is what we're talking about now, is completely attainable. It's something that we can attain. We can be forgiven for those things that we've done, the things that we did to ourselves, the things that we've done to others, those, those things that we thought were completely unforgivable. God's completely forgiven us for it. Even though we don't understand it, it's not for us to understand. It's just for us to accept and us to believe in and stand on that word of acceptance and that, that word of love. No matter if you come from a background where you wasn't loved in your, in your house by your parents or grandparents or siblings when you were growing up or didn't even have a family growing up. If you're a foster kid or an orphan of some sort and weren't really showed the love and affection, God has that complete can unconditional and attainable love for you in, his, in your life right now. And that love, the, one of the biggest things that uh, Christ was just completely ridiculed for when He was here, He came and He did many, many miracles. He healed everybody that came to Him. The Bible says that He healed all that came to Him. Not just some that was sick, but every single person that came to Him that needed something physically, He healed them. But the one thing that He was ridiculed even more so for healing and doing a miracle in their physical life was when He said, go, your sins are forgiven. That's when everybody was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who are you to forgive? You don't, you don't have that right. You don't have that power. But He did. 
and he still does today, has that complete unconditional power and unconditional love for us to completely forgive us of all those things. In John, in 1 John 1, 6 through 7, it's a, um, the word says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, to, for, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, um, verses 6 through 10. I mean, that's an extremely important, powerful um, verse right there where it's talking about how we can't just go around saying that we have no sin because even as Christians, that, even as followers and believers of God, we're still imperfect in many ways. But God says that in, in Him, He will give us the way to be able to come through everything, no matter what the situation is, whatever the, the uh, temptation that the enemy brings into your mind, into your life is. God says that He promises us that He already has a way out, no matter what. If we just turn to Him, no matter how big that situation is, and that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I believe. I've got it somewhere in here. But uh, it, it's a complete promise. It's one of God's promises for our lives and for, for those conditions is that if we just turn to Him, we will be easily able to have our way out without falling into that sin. Time, time after time, Christ forgave those who came to Him seeking physical healing, and He healed all. Forgiveness is often a misunderstood concept. Sometimes we think that forgiveness means saying that everything is okay even when it isn't. Sometimes we feel guilty because we're unable to forget the hurt that we have suffered despite our best efforts. But forgiveness is a process. It takes place over time. So what is forgiveness? One definition in, in a dictionary of forgiveness is to renounce anger or resentment towards someone that has harmed you. Another definition of forgiveness is giving up your right to hurt someone for hurting you. So in other words, forgiveness isn't about forgetting. It has nothing to do with forgetting. It's about letting go. As often as the hurt surfaces, you must forgive that person or persons. All right, uh, one thing about letting go that I'd like to share with you a story. It's actually true. It's, uh, in Africa, the natives, there are over 405, I believe, tribes um, tribal nations within the, the country of Africa. And many of those tribal um, communities, they survive by having to capture different game. And one of their favorite game to capture, but it was, was in, for many years, the hardest was the monkey. I mean, because monkeys are pretty intelligent creatures. And they'd set out traps, they'd find out what the per perfect thing is that they love to eat, what they were most curious about, and they'd go and go and go and they could not get this, these monkeys to go inside the trap, no matter what they did. But then they found out by chance, just by a mistake on a flaw in making these traps, to make them with little slits in the cages, just big enough that they could wiggle their arm through it if it was open, and they could get inside of it. They wouldn't go around through the big opening and get to what they wanted, but they'd wiggle their little arm, stretch it in there, and just squeeze it to get in there. Then they'd grab hold of that item, if it'd be a banana or just a shiny object that interests them or whatever it was. They'd get in there so they'd get their hand on it, but then they couldn't get it out. 
And those monkeys would stand there and just squeal and scream and yank and pull, but they would not let go of that item. No matter how bad they wanted to get free, they wouldn't let go of that item. They would not give it up. So then the natives just come up, walk up to them, throw a tarp over them, bag them, and take them off. And that just worked over and over and over because the, the monkey would not let go of that thing that had them trapped. That thing that had them put into the situation where they were going to no longer be able to live life. They were completely, unconditionally um, trapped because of their own selfish pride to let go. All right, I've got a few illustrations today. I love to, to use illustrations, visual illustrations, as well as uh, kind of story illustrations to kind of help people grab concepts because that's kind of how I learn the easiest is by visual stuff. I'm a, you know, an outdoors type, type of guy and I like to get my hands dirty and get into stuff and that, I can learn a whole lot better and faster by doing that many times than if uh, somebody tells me over and over and over and over and over the same thing. So, so I do have a couple illustrations tonight. Hopefully everybody can see okay. Um, this first one might be a little difficult for you guys to see because it's not a real standing up high illustration, and I apologize for that. I did try to video it so it could be put on the overhead screen, but uh, the format that my camera videos would not communicate with the uh, computer, and I'm not really computer savvy to figure that out. So. Um, so what we've got today on this illustration, this first one, is it's gonna have four different elements. The first element that is up here is running away from me. Is, uh, is just a quarter. This quarter is going to represent sin. Second element we're going to be using is, uh, represents you and I, people, and it is this dirty, ucky-looking water. Looks kind of gross and yucky. This is our lives without Christ are kind of dirty and ucky-looking. The next element is this candle. It's God's love. Because God has such an unconditional love for our lives, for our hearts, for our family. But without his love, we'll be stuck on this plate. Can't go beyond it. We're stuck within it. But we're also surrounded around that sin that's keeping us captive, that's holding us. Then the last element of this illustration is the, this glass right here. And this glass represents forgiveness. So with that, with the... Uh, the, the element of love just kind of saturated within our lives, it's changed us, it's kind of modified the, the location that it's sitting to where it seems a little better, but it's still surrounded by uck, and we're still stuck in that sin and that uh, stuff that's holding us there. But when you take God's love and you, uh, everything's draining into the wrong direction, and you put it into our lives and then you take that love and you surround it with forgiveness it'll begin to pull us out and away from that sin if you guys could see this uh, well I'll have to do this on a video sometime and put it up there so you can see it better but it'll draw because of the the candle here it draws the element of us away from that and it actually begins to suck us up into that cup to where it's in a negative balance and it it'll fill the cup up with all of that and it'll be completely away from that sin yeah, you can kind of see it but uh, and that's how God's love with in our lives is it, it pulls us from the elements that are keeping us captive kind of like the monkey that uh, 
that shiny object, that banana, kept it captive and kept it stuck in a, in a location and situation of, of its life to where it could not get away. It was completely stuck. And that's, that's what we can do if we don't let go and move on from things. But we have to accept God's forgiveness. We've got to ex accept what He has for our lives. Because no matter how, how much God loves us, if we don't accept His forgiveness, we're still going to be stuck. Um, I did, before I gave my life to Christ when I was 29, I did a lot of messed up stuff when I was growing up. A lot of stuff that I'm definitely not proud of. And it took, even after I gave my life to Christ, Christ completely made me a new creation. And I forgave my father for all he, the things he had done to me that uh, was ex beyond um, even explanation. Um, and my wife, when we got back together, we were separated and divorce papers were filed at the time and everything. We got back together and uh, she could see a complete difference in me. I mean, I used to drive no matter where I was going. If I was just going around the, the corner, I, it was floored all the way there. It didn't matter if I was going five minutes away or 500 miles away. I was, it was 100 miles an hour the whole time and the whole way. And one of the first things that she had said when, when we started seeing each other again, when we were seeing if you know, we could work things out, when she started realizing that I was not the person I once was, was my driving. She goes, wow, you definitely have changed. Because she had, she had been with me at that time prior to being saved from 94 to when we got started getting divorced in 99, the end of 99. So we'd been together five years and she's experienced my nutsy driving. And then she got back and she's like, okay, so there is definitely a difference in you. Um, so that was one of the first things that kind of sparked her of knowing, okay, there, maybe there's more to this than just fluff. Um, but, but I had and then I, we started talking about it and going through things, and I had mentioned to her how I had completely forgave my father for what he had done to me, and she said, I don't understand that. How can you, how can you forgive him? I said, well, that's what God desires of me to do. He forgave me, so I need to be able to show that same love, even though it's really undeserved love, um, to him. And um, she didn't understand that for a few years, how I was able to do that, but I held on to forgiving myself for many of the things that I had done to people for years. I mean, it took me probably two, three years of being saved before I really realized, you know what? I've got to forgive myself as well. Because what's the purpose in God forgiving me, somebody else forgiving me, or me forgiving somebody else if I can't even forgive myself? Am I, am I not good enough or am I too good to receive that? <laughs> so that was, that was one of my weak points of being able to just step forward and admit to myself and admit to my Lord that I too needed to be forgiven because he knows what he knew what I did. I was trying to rationalize in my head. Well, maybe God doesn't remember that. Maybe he doesn't remember that one either. But, you know, I'll just not even say anything about it and I'll just keep <laughs> trying to do what I'm doing. Maybe he maybe he's forgot about it. And that, that brings me to my next uh, um, story about the duck and the devil. See, there was a little boy named Johnny and his sister, Sally, and they'd go once in a while to their grandparents house. And when they'd go out to their grandparents' house, they'd stay out there and they had a nice farm out in the country and all kinds of different animals and all this stuff. And Johnny was getting up to around eight, 10 years old and his grandpa thought, you know what, you're old enough. So when he showed up, he, he surprised him with a gift. He gave him a slingshot and said, why don't you guys just go out into the woods and have some fun with that? So Johnny was out there all day. He got there early in the morning. He was out there all day trying to shoot targets, trying to shoot cans, trying to shoot everything. He all day long, and it was getting close to dinner time, and he had hit nothing he'd aimed at all day. He was like, well, I got to get back. It's getting close to dinner. I don't want my grandparents to worry. Better just head on back, and maybe I'll do better tomorrow. So he, on his way, walking back, he gets close to the, coming past the barn 
with the wood pile and he sees his grandma's little pet duck. She had one pet duck that was just her pet. She loved this thing. And he walks back and just out of instinct, he pulled up and shot real fast, hit the thing right in the head, killed it instantly. And he's like, oh no, uh, I haven't hit nothing all day. How'd that happen? He looks around, didn't see anybody at first. So he grabs a duck and hides it, stuffs it in the wood pile thinking, okay, nobody will know. Nobody will know. I'll think it got crushed by the wood pile or something. He went on about his thing, starts walking in the house and he looks over and his sister's standing there. He goes, uh-oh, she probably saw me. But she didn't say nothing, so he just kind of went, okay, well, maybe he didn't. So he went in, went to dinner, did all this stuff. Dinner's getting done, and Grandma says, okay, Sally, come on in here and help me, help me clean up the dishes and clean up dinner. And Sally goes, I would, Grandma, but uh, Johnny said that he wanted to help you tonight with the dishes. And Johnny's looking at her like, what? And then she walks by, and she goes, remember the duck. And he goes, oh. So he goes in there and does the dishes and cleans up kind of out of, man, I'm, I'm stuck now. My sister's got me. And so this goes on for a while. You know, the next day, Grandpa comes up and says, hey, Johnny, let's go fishing today. And the girls can just stay here and do this. And little Sally comes up again and goes, well, Grandpa, he said that he wanted to stay today and help Grandma make some cookies. And she walks past Johnny again, remember the duck. So he has to stay there all day, you know, doing bacon and house cleaning and doing stuff like that. And this went on for a couple of weeks while they were there. Finally, Johnny couldn't take it anymore. He could not take going through, missing out on all this stuff. Because not only was he doing the, the regular chores that they'd set up for him to learn responsibility and stuff, but now he's doing all his and all of her chores. And she's doing nothing but just having a great time enjoying it. <laughs> so finally, he decides, you know what, I've got to confess. I've got to do this. So he comes up to Grandma and he goes, Grandma, um, I've got to tell you something. She goes, okay, Johnny, what is it? And he goes, Grandma, I killed that duck of yours. She goes, Johnny, I know you did. See, I was standing here in the window when it happened. I saw the whole thing the whole time. And you know what? I love you anyways, unconditionally. And I'd forgave you before you even came inside. But I also saw that Sally was out there and saw it. So I just wondered how long were you going to be a slave to this sin? Because I want to forgive you. And I'm glad you came to me. And see, God's the same way in our lives. He knows everything we've done. He knows everything that we've, we've even thought about doing. And he's already forgiven us for each and every one of those things. Because he's, he's not a, a God that's up there like some churches sadly are, you know, hammering down. You've got to come out here and get on your knees before the altar. If you don't, you know, you're going to hell the next Sunday. So, you know, we, uh, we believe strongly in God's love and God's faith and God's grace. And, and I'm just so happy and glad that we found that message in his word that it's not a judging God. He's a loving God. Um, so in the first point this morning, we saw how God's unconditional love, his forgiveness, and through that we can begin our new journey towards our new purpose. All right, so God has purposed us, and he has a purpose to save you and to forgive you. In, back in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Behold, all things have become new. So when you have a new beginning, you have a new purpose. You're no longer on the same path that you was once on, um, no matter what that path was. If it's uh, a path of addiction and, and alcohol and lust and, and cigarettes, whatever those things are that's holding you captive in life, if you completely give it to God, he can pull you out of those situations, no matter what it is. And he desires to, but it, but it is a process. It's something that is difficult. Sometimes God has blessed pe some people I know with uh, that new purpose of, of forgiveness out of an addiction instantaneously, where we just com completely walked away from it. I was, I was addicted from with alcohol 
uh, alcoholism from the time I was about five years old. My parents got me drunk for the first time when I was about two. By the time I was four or five years old, I can remember sneaking out of my uh, bedroom that was down in the basement. So it was easy to sneak upstairs because it was a concrete basement, concrete uh, stairs going up, and I just had to go into the kitchen. Everybody else's bedroom was clear on the other side of the house. So I could get up there and get to the liquor cabinet real easily. And I'd get up there and get into their stashes every night. And uh, I went, drank like that and drank that way from the time of four or five years old all the way until I was 29. And when God uh, saved me, I went from needing that habit that I was spending on average about $600 a month or a week, not a month, sorry, um, in beer and Jack Daniels and Everclear and about everything else I could just pour into my body. I didn't even know what water was at that time in my life. I don't understand how I'm still walking and have internal organs. Um, but I do, praise God. So, um, But he can take those things instantaneously, instantaneously take that desire away from you if you just completely let go of it and give it to him. He desires to be able to do that, but Sometimes it takes, a, it takes a, a matter of time of you fully letting go and getting your body to let go of those, those, those desires, those pullings that are upon you. Matthew 28, one of the new purposes that Christ gave us in life, um, the last actual full thing, one of the last full things he gave out to the uh, disciples as he was getting ready to uh, ascend into heaven was to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So one of the first purposes, new purposes of our Christian life is to be discipled to get an understanding of the word and then to be able to get a, enough of an understanding where you can take that word out to others that are needing to be discipled themselves. Jeremiah 8, 3 through 7. If I can turn there. That's Jeremiah 8, 3 through 7. It says... I got the right verse now. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of the evil family. Um, I'll read the one I got kind of scribbled on here, see if I can read it. That's not sounding like the right one. Sorry. So then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something out of the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as if it seemed good to the potter to make. See, God desires us, no matter how many flaws we have in our life, he is our potter, is what the word says. He is the, the, the thing that has cleansed us. He is the thing that has made us whole and uh, just drawn us out of, out of all of the pits that we have been in in life. He desires for us to be able to become new again and have that new purpose in our life, a new new ideas to where we no longer have those flaws. See, uh, one illustration I saw in a movie, uh, Joshua. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. It's of a, of a young man, he comes into this community and it turns out he's supposed to be a, you know, like Jesus in a sense, as I think how it's portrayed in the movie. But the thing that, I, that really got, gathered me is there's this lady in there that in the beginning of the movie, she's just uh, devastated. Her husband had died or left her or something. And she just had given up on life. She had no purpose, no direction. She thought her life was just a, a shattered mess. So towards the end of the movie, when he tells the community, after all the good and, and uh, stuff that he's brought to the community, showing the community how they needed to pull together and to love one another. Um, yeah, there it is. Thank you. 
Israel, Whitney. Uh, it's 18, not eight. Um, but uh, had shown all this stuff. She had started to, you know, almost fall in love with him, even though she shouldn't have, you know, she kind of took the love a different direction than what he was desiring it to be. It was more a desire to be a direction of love towards a heavenly father. And then when she, he was leaving, she realized, you know, she got upset and she goes, you know what, my life is a mess. And he says, no, it's not. Your life is beautiful. And she reaches over and grabs this nice crystal uh, vase and shatters it, throws it on the ground, and just shatters it in the middle, million of pieces. And she says, no, this was beautiful, but now that's my life. And she walks out. And he takes those shattered pieces and she, he reforms it, makes it into this beautiful statue of like this, uh, looked like a, a lady in a nice fancy dress is what the, all the pieces of glass looked like when it was reshaped. And um, then he left that with one of the pastors of the community after he left to give to her. And she saw that and realized, finally got the idea that, you know what, even though your life was one thing at one point, if something happens that kind of turns it a different direction and makes it feel like it's a shattered mess, it, it doesn't have to be. Because God can take that mess if you give your life over to him and he can make it something beautiful again. He can make it into something that um, is just un, unexplainable. Um, be, my life would be a definite example of that, you know, and uh, just going through the things that I've done, giving my life to the Lord, I was still, at first, was just, uh, you know, a Christian then, thought that was good, I loved my, my family now, and I'd do a little bit better work trying to provide for them in a better sense, but then when God called us to be leaders in churches and going forward that way is when God really started opening up our eyes to how beautiful our life could be, how it could be just absolutely amazing to be able to be out, you know, here in, in Oklahoma now, just being able to bring God's word to you guys, that is in itself is something beautiful to, to what Christy and I feel. It's just amazing to be able to be called worthy and be called in a sense um, capable of serving in the Lord in a capacity of that nature. And God desires the same thing of each one of our lives. He desires us to, to get up and, and bring the congregation into praise and worship like Israel and, and Parish do and, and uh, lead in so many ways, but we have to just first take, take those steps. We can't just stand back and look at the broken pieces. We have to give those broken pieces to the Lord and let Him reshape it, reform it into something beautiful. And He is faithful and just, just to do just those things. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27, it says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. Now with uncertainty thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, we, we need to go after these things. We need to seek after things that will uh, better not only us in our Christian walk, but also better God's kingdom by, by representing Him in a way that, that um, you know, is, is worthy of representing Him. And so, many, so many times being in construction industry, I get to meet a lot of really hard-headed individuals. Um, and one of, the, one of the biggest things that gets through to them isn't me going out there and telling, oh, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Look at what the Word said. God will forgive you of that. But by being a Christian. God's Word says that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. That means that we have the same authority, in a sense, that Christ had on earth here. 
We have that authority. So if we are his ambassador, that means whatever we're doing in life, if somebody looks upon us as a Christian, we need to be doing things that they're not going to go, whoa, that's what a Christian is? Whew. I don't want nothing to do with that. That was one of the things that kept me from church when I was young. I left home when I was really young and uh, pretty much been on my own for many years. And because of that, I'd seek people that looked like somebody I'd want to be around. And, but the sad thing is, the small town where I grew up back then, most of the people that called themselves Christians were the ones that you wanted to stay the furthest away because they would be the ones that would use you, abuse you, and then let you go once they were done with you. And um, so they got, Christians in that area got a real bad rap. So in a sense, God got a bad rap and was losing a lot of possibility in that, in that area. Um, and that's, that's what we, as Christians now, we need to continue to do. We need to stand strong and stand firm on the foundation of His Word. Love, grace, mercy, and faith. Um, but standing strong and not just standing back and allowing people to use us and abuse us you know, either. We need to stand upon His Word because His Word also says that we should not uh, let those use us and abuse us in, a, in that sense. Um, but stand strong and be ambassadors for Him so we can go after things and grow and build and expand His kingdom. We're supposed to seek those spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That's 1 Corinthians 14.1, sorry. Uh, that we are to pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. We should ask, seek after the Father with everything that we have and pursue to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have not already received it, this, this is the direct heavenly language. And it is a, a powerful, powerful weapon to use against the enemy. The enemy brings things into your life and you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can simply go to the Father speaking in, in the heavenly language and in, in the baptism of the Spirit in tongues and just battle against it that words can't even begin to, to, to utter. It is the complete way and most powerful way to attack many things in life. In Romans 8.26 it says, Likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Um, the next illustration I'm going to do uh, up here is uh, one I've done before, and it's uh, just, as, just as good, just as powerful, but it's a little bit more easy to be seen by you guys clear back there. We've got three items here that will be used. Once again, the uh, nasty black-watered one is, is uh, sin. Because <laughs> it's, it's just nasty. It's not something you'd want to dive into and be surrounded around. Um, so it, it represents sin. This one here is our lives prior to um, actually being born. Because <laughs> we come out before we're born, we're in the womb, we're pretty good and nice. Um, but as soon as we come out, we're, we come into to sin area, and this one is going to represent God, or vice versa. Kind of mess up my illustration, got them wrong. Um, so when we go, when we are first born, we're pretty perfect, pretty clean. We look really nice when we first come out until we start yelling for the first time, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> then the selfishness comes in. The human nature of sin starts to come in. So you get a little bit and, you know, pour into your life and it just turns you a little color and it continues to go through life as you just keep, keep getting darker and darker and darker. And before long, you look just like the world. Nasty, gross, dirty. Nobody's wanting to dive into you either. 
Um, but, then you be, but then you become a, a Christian. You, you give your life over to the Lord, and uh, you, you accept His forgiveness so He can pull you away from that sin and brings you apart from it. But until you completely accept Him and allow Him to go into your heart and start cleansing you, you can't be clean. But as He cleans you and you allow Him to pour into to your life, He just makes you back whole again and makes you back to the clean, perfect thing that He has designed you to be. Um, and then, then the enemy goes, well, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm going to uh, go into the church. I'm going to mess it up. But you know what? If it's a spirit-filled church full of God and full of love, no matter what the enemy, what the world pours into it, he has no power, he has no authority, and he has no way to ever affect the Lord. So I want to encourage you in that, to, to know that if you have God in you, no matter what you have done, what you have thought, or what the world has tried to tell you that you are, we'll even clean the bottom of that glass, to tell you that you are, you're not. You are what God has created you to be. You are what God has called you to be. And you are perfect in His eyes. He doesn't see those flaws. He doesn't see those faults. He just sees the perfect you. In Colossians 2, 8 through 15. That's Colossians 2, 8 through 15. It says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with the, circumc with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcisions of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcised of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. God desires to take all of the things away from from your life that has held you up and desires to just make you new, like I was saying, and bring you into a complete, clean, and perfect state again to where you can fully be used for His glory and fully walk forward, not doubting something that you may have done, not doubting what people have said about you, no matter how good it has been or how bad it's been. Even, the, the, even some of the nicest things people say still aren't even a portion of what God truly has for you and what you are capable of doing through Him. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give you all the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's given us every bit of the power and the authority to overcome all those things that come against us by that unconditional love, that cleansing love and complete forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness to the heavenly places. So in, in uh, the second point, we saw that we are repurposed. And that with that repurpose, with that becoming a new creation, with that forgiveness, we become a new thing. The third 
um, point today is God's promises. God's word is full of new promises. In 1 Corinthians 5.17 it says our entire being is changed and has new beginnings. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Um, excuse me. Um, just as your soul prospers. This is not much, there is not much better prosperity that we could ever imagine in, in living and in life that would match our heavenly prosperity. See, upon receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, it says we have eternity with Him in heaven. And the, the place where the streets are made of gold. I mean, down here, gold is pretty, uh, pretty priceless. It's uh, pretty expensive stuff. And if they've got such an abundance of it to where they're just making it uh, out of the, you know, the streets out of it, it's, it's a pretty nice place. And God says that we have eternal uh, surety of being there with him forever. You don't, no doubt about it, no anything about it. Once you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you're going there. Plain and simple. If you truly confessed with your mouth and believed it with your heart that he is Lord and Savior, it says you shall be saved. Not you might be saved. You shall be saved. That's uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. I'd like to go there and read that scripture real quick. I don't even think I wrote it down. Romans 10, 9 and 10. says that, that if you confess with your mouth the, Jesus, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not uh, something that's conditional upon the goodness of you, or your acting, or your doing. It's completely just conditional about your faith. Do you truly believe it? Will you truly accept it? If you do, God has a, a complete assurity and promise for you of where he's going to take you to. Um, it says that he will take you into a, a position of that and that he desires, according to 3 John, says that he desires you to you be in health now. It's not speaking in a sense of later. This verse isn't written to him. Well, well when you die, you're going to be, you know, have this prosperity. It says that you're going to have this prosperity here and now even, and prosper, be in health at, even as your soul prospers. So if you're going to prosper and be in health, well in heaven the word already says that you're, there is no health or death or anything. It's, it's forever. There's no sickness, none of that stuff. So in there, with that being said, if you take the, the, liter, the scripture literally, it can only mean now. It's meaning now. You're to be in health now. You're to prosper now, even as your soul prospers. So if we stand on that word, believing that word, then, then we're missing out on a whole lot of stuff because so many of us aren't standing on that word. So many times we allow ourselves to look at the economy. Well, what's the economy doing? Oh, well, all this rain, that's been slowing everything down. You know what? God's your provider. Rain's not going to affect it because God's going to affect your life in the way that he desires it to if you give it over to him and just trust him with it. And the, one of the biggest things and biggest ways if you're, you're having issues in your, in your um, finances, are you tithing? Not to, didn't mean to hit on that subject, but are you tithing? God's word is very clear. It says that seed time and harvest, if you're sowing seeds into something, he's going to bless it. You're going to get what you sow. 
you're going to reap what you sow into it. And if you're reaping into his kingdom, you're sowing seeds of finances into his kingdom, he's going to bless you with finances. It says he'll open up the windows of heaven with such abundance that you won't even be able to contain it. You'll have no, no choice but to start giving, a, giving it out to help others to be able to walk forward in life with the things that which God has called them to do. But he also blesses other areas by, by sowing into his kingdom, sowing time into his kingdom, serving at his churches, doing stuff of that nature. Um, when I look back to some people in different churches that we've served at and all the time they pour into the churches and pouring into things and you, you go, okay, well, he's doing this and he's doing this and he's doing that and he's married and he's got that. How in the world does he even have time to sleep? But you know what? Because God's blessed his time to where he's able to utilize it. And God does that in every aspect. No matter what it is you're sowing into his kingdom, he's going to bless it and multiply it. Uh, Philippians 4.19 says that he shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not that he will do it according to just what you need. If you're only needing 50 bucks for your, your phone bill this week, oh, he's not going to just meet that $50. If you truly trust in him and you've given your life to him, he's going to bless you with abundance beyond that $50. Um, 1 Corinthians, uh, we already read that, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I did have it. So we'll go to Matthew 7, um, verse 8. It says, uh, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive and he who seeks finds. And to he who knocks it will be opened. See, God desires us to seek after him. He desires us to go forward not just standing back. We can't, uh, we can't just sit back and expect God to do it for us. We can't just come over here and sit on our pew or go, go home. Oh, poor me, I got uh, the company shut down. I wasn't expecting to be laid off today. That wasn't something you planned for, but you know what? God can use that to open a door to a better company to hire you, making better amount of money with better, bene better, better benefits and better uh, options to be able to spend time in ministry, spend time with family, and move forward. Don't just get the mopey attitude and sit back and, oh, poor me. Trust God, and He will open doors for you. If you just seek Him and knock upon Him, He'll open the door for you, and He'll, he'll allow you to find those answers that you seek. Um, we had one gentleman when we were at Christ for the Nations that come in there. He moved his whole family up there, knew that God called him here, you know, called him to go to school there. Had a lot of different uh, uh, confirmation and different elders of his church that he came from saying, yes, you're definitely to go there, go and do this. And then he got there and instead of continuing to seek God, he got there and, well, God, you brought me here. Pay my bills for me. He ended up only lasting not even the first full semester because didn't have the money to pay the bills. Never even went to try to find a job. Just so, well, God called me here. He's just going to pay it all. You know, sometimes I have known many people that God has done that. Called him to do something. He called me to go to Israel before the year that we moved down here. I was just planning on going to, uh, going to him to be on their prayer team and help him financially to set up this trip for the men's ministry to go there for uh, two and a half weeks. And God said, no, you're going. And I was like, well, I don't have the time to go for one. We're going to be moving to Texas to Christ for the Nations. I got kind of a bit of stuff to take care of here, and I really don't have the uh, $7,000 that it, we're, we're supposed to have in order to go on this trip. And God said, no, you're going. I said, okay, Lord, um, I trust you. You said to do it. I'll, I'll go. But you're going to have to help me on the finances. I'll do what I can on my side to start writing all kinds of letters. I think I put out a total of like 385 letters. And I uh, got a response of a total, I think, $240 came back. And I was like, okay, Lord, I, I must have missed you. So I'm going to have to go and talk to the uh, pastor and tell him that I was wrong. I'm not supposed to go on this trip. So I went in talked to, the, to talk to the men's pastor at that time. And he, says, he goes, well, what do you need? And I said, well, I'm going to let you know how much came in. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. I, we've already got all your stuff in. I said, what do you mean you already got my stuff in? I've, I've got the, 
the stuff that came back to me with me now. And he goes, well, we, we are, you're already paid in full and got about $10,000 extra that came in your account that's going to go into the funds to bless this ministry with. And I was like, okay, Lord, I trust you. <laughs> so, but God, God can do miraculous things if we just trust us or trust him because he trusts us. He doesn't desire us to just trust him and then sit on our butt and do nothing because you're not going to grow if you don't get planted. If you don't get into the word and get into something, get involved. Um, in Galatians 3, this is our final scripture I have for you guys this morning. We're going to read a few different verses here. To wrap up, it's Galatians 3. We're going to start in verse 22. And we're actually going to read through verse, uh, chapter 4, 7. So, starting in uh, Galatians 3, verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the per promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept from the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, there is no longer a need for the tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir has, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of them, but is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under, under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a son, but a a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God desires us to realize how important we are to him. We are just as important to him as his son, Christ is. It says we are joint heirs with Christ in heaven. So if we're a joint heir of his and all those promises, all the promises that are, that are put forth throughout Scripture, old and new, um, they're ours to receive. Um, they're not conditional either. There are a lot of the, the promises of the Old Testament that are, con are conditional um, upon being able to receive. Well, you've got to do such and such. You've got to be you know, in a certain family, a certain this, a certain that, to be able to receive that promise. But according to God's word here in the New Testament, on the new covenant, the better covenant it says, those promises are just for us because we're in His family. We are no longer conditional. We're not outside of His family to where we cannot receive it. We are part of His family. We are completely capable of opening up and receiving those promises. If we just step forth as believers through faith, understanding who we are, who we have called to be, and given it all over to God. So today, um, you have seen how with God's love you have been purged of all of your sins, past, present, and future. You have received full forgiveness. You have learned that even you have a purpose. And that yes, all of the promises 
are for you as followers of Christ. The fullness of the gospel is really simple. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's that simple. Those simple, basic steps is what the scripture is all about. And that if in Romans 10, 8 and 10, 8 through 11 it says, but, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So if there's anyone here today that uh, has not received Christ as their Lord and Savior, we'd definitely love to pray with you guys um, to be able to show you that direction. Um, so with eyes closed and heads bowed, if there is anyone that has not given their life over to receive these promises, this fullness, this unconditional love, um, if you would raise your hand and just show that so we know to pray with you, we'd love to do so today. Thank you. Thank you. With everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, um, let's, let's just pray with this, uh, this individual. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today to thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. We let go of these things that are holding us back and we give our lives fully to you. We thank you and we confess you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.